Hello, I'm Simon Thompson, Chief Executive of the Chartered Banker Institute and author of Green and Sustainable Finance Principles and Practice. Now, I spend a lot of my time speaking with policymakers, regulators and banking and finance professionals at all levels to try to understand how we can build the capacity, capabilities, the culture required to align finance with the objectives of the Paris Agreement and broader sustainability goals. Kind of conversations about climate risk and climate finance green and sustainable finance, nature-based risks and finance, and how our sector can and must lead the global transition to net zero. These are all green conversations, if you like. And I've been lucky enough to meet many expert and inspiring individuals along the way. And so I decided to record and share some of these green conversations with a wider audience of our members and others. In particular, to try to move the conversation on from global and national commitments and targets to what needs to be done by banking and finance professionals in the front line to put green and sustainable finance principles into practice. And I'm delighted to be joined today for a green conversation with Sarah Kemet from the United Nations Environment Programme. Now, Sarah is a consultant to the UNEP, working with the Net Zero Asset Owner and Net Zero Banking Alliances, which, as parts of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, GFANS are very much in the spotlight in the run-up to and at COP26. With a background in environmental science, Sarah's early career focused on habitat conservation. Following the financial crisis, though, Sarah wanted to try to conserve banks and bankers and prevent them becoming endangered and so moved into banking regulation and internal audit with the Bank of England and more recently has been working on the regulation and supervision of climate risks. So welcome to Green Conversations Sarah and um, can you tell me a little bit more about what you're working on at the moment especially with the Net Zero Banking Alliance in the run-up to COP26? Hi Simon, thanks so much for that introduction and thanks so much for the opportunity to speak to your members, you and your members about, um, about this topic. Um, in the run up to COP, we've had kind of three main um, areas of focus. I think the first one is really a, a big focus on building our coalition within the Net Zero Banking Alliance. And that's been going really well. Um, we launched the Net Zero Banking Alliance back on the 21st of April with 43 banks. And as of today, we have um, 63 banks in our coalition over 32 countries, um, and they represent around $40 trillion of total assets. Um, and actually, this is continuing to grow at the moment. So I'm hoping by the time we reach COP, we'll have um, even bigger numbers to report. And um, at the moment, we have around a quarter of the global banking assets in the Alliance, um, which have all committed to being aligned with a 1.5 degree outcome and net zero by 2050. So I think this, this really can be a game changer. Um, the second big area that we've been working on um, has been to set up some work tracks for the Alliance. So it took us a few months to get all of the governance arrangements established, and now we're moving more into an operational mode with some work tracks on implementation, on sectors, and on outreach and recruitment. And those are all geared at developing the capability and capacity in the member banks to help them to implement that commitment. And thirdly, we've been arranging a few events at COP where banks and other financial institutions can talk about the work they're doing to mitigate climate change. So that's been um, the main areas of focus just recently. 
that's great it's, it's really heartening to hear about the uh, the growth of uh, of the of the alliance um and you mentioned cop 26 there uh, i mean what you know, beyond the uh, the nzba itself what would you like to see come out of cop 26 in terms of green and sustainable finance um but what do you think actually will come out of cop 26 in terms of green and sustainable finance Yes, well, I'd, I'd really like to see finance have a really clearly defined role in the transition to a net zero economy by 2050 and in line with a one and a half degree warming outcome. So we need to see every part of the economy, so that's public, private, companies, institutions and consumers all really pulling in the same direction. And there's no single solution to the climate crisis, and we need such a fundamental overhaul of how we do most things so that they all add up to the right outcome. And hopefully most of these things can improve our health and quality of life as well. So, so we really need more clarity over how finance can support that. Um, and I'm really pleased that through the Net Zero Alliance's private financing is, is really demonstrating this leadership. And the, the crunch is going to come over the next year because on a planetary level, we have to bend that global emissions curve downwards and it's proving to be very, very recalcitrant. Um, and so to, you know, achieving this goal is going to be incredibly challenging and we need an all of society approach to get there. And estimates of how much the net zero uh, ambition is going to cost range from about 100 to 150 trillion dollars cumulative over the next 30 years. But the ECB recently did some stress testing, um, which showed that the short term costs of the transition are nothing compared to the costs of climate change in the mid to long term, which you know, in the worst case scenario could wipe off, say, 10% of Europe's GDP or lead to a 30% rise in corporate defaults for the most exposed companies. So even from an economic perspective, taking action now must be better in the long run than, than further delaying action to cut emissions. So, you know, although we've got this fantastic commitment from private finance, what we need to see is a follow up with meaningful actions. And I think, you know, banks cannot do this alone. It's, it's really hard for them not to reflect the general economy. And so we need a conducive policy environment and we need to ensure that governments really step up with their NDCs, those nationally determined contributions, um, which is the national goal for reducing emissions. And, and, you know, states need to follow through with credible national plans and policies that will achieve that. So what I really want to see coming out of COP26 is a set of NDCs that close that gap that exists between the current policies on emissions and what we actually need to see to be in line with a one and a half degree pathway. And, you know, through the Net Zero Banking Alliance, and, and other financial alliances. Private finance has really signaled that it's there to support that policy, but that's what we need to see, a closing of that gap. Well, thanks, Sarah. I'd, uh, I'd certainly agree with uh, with all of that. But one thing that strikes me, and one thing I hear a lot from, from our members, um, is that sometimes they're put off a little bit when they hear the strategic conversations and uh, talk about 
NDCs, countries' climate action plans. Um, they hear some of the eye-watering sums involved in the transition. You know, you mentioned perhaps 100 to 150 trillion dollars uh, involved, and they don't really get what this means for them as uh, as frontline bankers, sort of offering advice um, and support to customers um, and clients in transition. So, how do we translate these? strategic conversations at the level of COP and GFANS and the NZBA into meaningful green conversations with customers at the front line of banking? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think it means that most people that are working within banking need to get up to speed with climate issues. And those at the front line, I think the most important thing for them to get to grips with is what is a good transition plan for their customers. And that requires quite a degree of specific kind of sector understanding. Um, and if the banker doesn't see a really solid transition plan from their client, they need to really push them for one. And they need to see that if a client is not engaging with the climate transition, um, this risks them being left behind. And so it does present a risk to the bank. And you know, it's about every part of the economy from the transport sector to cement, agriculture, oil and gas, steel and aluminium production and, and all of the other high emitting se sectors. So there's um, a huge need for training throughout banks. Um, and I would say both, you know, at the very top at non-executive levels, but also at executive levels. And, and by that, I mean also across all three lines of defence. So I myself have done a stint in internal audit um, for a few years and can see that how important it is that, you know, the internal audit function needs to be able to challenge first and second line on climate strategy and on governance, on controls and risk. So it's, it's relevant for everybody really throughout the banking institution. And, and what do you think the balance or the appropriate balance is here? Um, you know, do we need all bankers to become climate specialists or do we need all climate specialists to become bankers? That's a really good, a really good question. Um, I think we're still at a time where best practice is really evolving in climate finance and it's likely to continue for some time. So eventually, I think we want to see the normalization of climate risk and climate alignment. Um, and it's this norm setting that these international frameworks really seek to establish. But I would say, you know, many of the skills that are needed are around quite technical areas like the carbon accounting of measuring financed emissions or determining alignment using scenario analysis and developing targets, KPIs and management information and the kind of risk analysis and stress testing, reporting and disclosure are important. But there's also a lot of skills in terms of change management and strategic integration. So as I said before, I think really it cuts across all, all of the banking institution. But I think banks are actually really highly skilled at dealing with change. When you think about what banks do, fundamentally, they're always helping their customers um, to bring about change. But, um, you know, they're also really skilled at internal change. So I've worked in banking for the last 10 years, and that 
internal pace of change within banks has been consistently high. You know, since the great financial crisis, we've had new regimes in liquidity, capital, recovery and res resolution, operational risk, ring fencing, open banking, um, you know, and that's only a few. Um, and that's not even to mention the massive kind of IT transformation programs. And certainly, I think the pace of digitization within banks and the data revolutions and open banking all make it a really great time to be able to seize the opportunities that are presented by the net zero transition. But as well as internal change, bank, banks are really skilled at dealing with external change. And when you think of all of the changes in the economy that we've had over the last, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, really, they've all been facilitated by banks. Mm. Um, you know, so street lighting evolved from whale oil to gas to electricity to LEDs. And there's been moves from horses to cars or the, you know, the evolution of personal computing and the Internet and the dot com mm. boom. Um, and also things like the geographical relocation of manufacturing and heavy industry and, and offshoring. Banks are really used to this and dealing and helping their customers deal with change. But I think the real big deal about climate change is it's just the breadth and pace of change. It's because almost the whole economy has to transition at the same time and really quickly. And that's what introduces the complexity and the risks. You know, as we've seen from COVID, the economy is such a complex network of linkages and dependencies. So we, you know, we really need a whole range of interdisciplinary skills and talents to bring to bear on this. And so, so finally, then, what advice would you give to individuals working in banking who want to do more personally and professionally to support the transition, to support what I think is going to be the next industrial revolution except we have to pack it into 20 or 30 years um, rather than the 150 or 200, 200 years or so of the, the first industrial revolution so you know what can and what should individuals be doing I think the main thing is for people to um, really understand that everybody has a role to take so just as we have to throw all our resources at the climate issue um, you know everybody has a role uh, and can be an agent of change so you know get informed and think about climate both in terms of the risk to your institution but also how you can align with this the solution to climate change how does that impact your role and i'm really hard pressed to think of anybody in a bank that doesn't have some aspect of their role that is impacted in some way so i would really just advise you to get interested in the topic and engage with it and you know read around a bit um, and use it as an opportunity that you, you, know, you can use this to, to demonstrate leadership in your area and drive change. Um, and I would say you know, that this change needs to come from both top down and bottom up if we're going to meet this challenge. So don't, don't be trapped into a mindset of thinking it's somebody else's um, role to deal with this. We, we can all play a part. And I think earlier you, you mentioned culture you know, and how important the culture is within um, within an organization um, and I, I think that that's true and and climate is something that just has to really ripple all the way through the organization 
It is, I'll certainly agree with that. Um, we have to build the um, the capacity, the capabilities, but above all, the the culture within institutions. So we have a uh, a culture of for financial services that is um, based on climate awareness, broad environmental and sustainability awareness. Um, I would say, and I would absolutely echo for all of our members the importance of every individual doing what they can. It isn't somebody else's problem; it's our problem, and we all need to take leadership. Um, I mean, thank you, Sarah, for a fascinating green conversation. Uh, you just as I'd hoped you have taken us beyond the headline announcements, the high level strategic initiatives to to what we as individuals can and should be doing to at least start to have some meaningful green conversations with our customers, with our clients and with our colleagues in our, you know, across our organizations as well. Um, I hope our listeners have enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you have, please share your love and feedback with us and of course via social media. We do want as many possible to join in this green conversation and we would strongly encourage you to start your own because a successful transition to net zero requires, in Mark Carney's words, that every professional financial decision takes climate change into account. And to pass what I like to call the Carney test, every finance professional needs to develop and apply a knowledge and understanding of climate change and sustainability within the context of their role and organization, and use this alongside their core technical knowledge and skills to advise, finance and support customers and communities through their transitions. Green conversations, in other words, need to move from best practice to standard practice across banking and finance, the new professional norms that Sarah spoke about a few moments ago. These need to become the new professional norms in all financial institutions everywhere. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon.